This is Market Scales Knowledge is Power with your host, Brandon Fluger. Hello. In this episode of Knowledge is Power, we'll be exploring several topics that shed light on one particular leader's pivotal moments in his exciting career, what he's learned from those moments, and how he continues to share his knowledge and expertise with others to ensure the next generation of robotics professionals are equipped to continue progressing the industry forward. Everyone, you'll want to stick around for the end as we have a special sign-off before next week's episode. Alas, joining me today, Simon Witten, Managing Director at Sierra Consulting, a boutique consulting company focused on the industrial robot and automation markets. He has more than 35 years of experience in the robotics automation space and has extensive knowledge in robotics, automation, and manufacturing. I'm excited to explore some new topics with you, Simon. Share with our viewers your expertise, your knowledge, your bank of knowledge. Really excited to have you on. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Brandon, for the invitation. Awesome. Well, Simon, everyone knows you in the robotics and automation space. It's amazing. I'm so glad we're here together today and that people have the opportunity to learn maybe a few things that they didn't quite know about you um, professionally and personally. So, you know, tell us about Simon Witten. What shapes you into the strong leader that you are? Well, good question. Um, yeah, just before I, I begin, I'd like to say that I'm not very comfortable talking about myself, but of course, I'll give it a go for the purposes of the podcast. What what shapes me? I can't, looking back, I can't really say that there was ever a single individual and you thought, oh, that person displays these qualities and I therefore I'm going to adopt them. But But one thing I picked up pretty early was sometimes people ask you really good, insightful questions that force you to think about what you're next going to say. And one of the characteristics that I also saw of these people is that they listen intently. They're not compelled to fire another question, another question, another question. They ask, then they listen, and then the next question generally stems from the answer that you gave. And it's forcing you to constantly think about what you're saying. And I, I saw this displayed in an awful lot of people. And it's something I have tried to do the same thing. Listen to what's being said. Look at it as it's being said. Try and see it from different perspectives. And then that informs the next question. And generally, I've found over time that it's the second or third time you ask the question that you really get to the meat of the of the response, not the response you're looking for, but the response that was meant to be given initially, if you see what I mean. And I noticed that a lot of people that have done very well in business, leaders of businesses, people you respect, this is one of the things that they tended to do. Uh, another thing that shaped me is that um, I'm going to talk about a sport that's not very big in America, of course, but I'm a, an old rugby player. Um, not a very good rugby player, but a very enthusiastic rugby player. <laughs> and I, I played, I had immense fun playing this game, playing with your friends effectively. This is what it became. It was team, team for me became about enjoying what we're doing together, not just being a member of a team, but the team became the greater objective, if you see what I mean. That, Superstars have their place, of course, and every team needs a superstar, you might say. But the satisfaction is not from watching the superstar. It's from achieving something together. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. And again, in that setting, 
one thing I noticed which set people apart was I tended to play in the moment. In other words, I'm so tired, so fatigued. I'm just, what's happening right in front of me? That's what I need to deal with right now. Oh, and here's another thing that's just happened, and now I need to deal with that. And then at half time, you'd stand and you'd hear one or two voices talking about things you'd never seen. <laughs> you know, that they're number seven. He's tending to drop off. He's not doing this, and we need to exploit the space. That And what do you mean? All I've seen is bodies crashing into each other, and I've been trying to fight for a ball. And again, it's that clarity of thought, that clear-mindedness, that even in a stressful situation, certain people are able to, to, to do what they're supposed to do, but still see the bigger picture. And that's a very transferable skill I found in, into business. You know, every day is a crisis. It's just what flavor of crisis do we have today? But whilst... Uh, you know, recognizing that and dealing with it, still keeping in, in mind the bigger picture. And that's something I think that that sport angle and also meeting people through business. I, I've, I've learned that don't get sucked in too deeply. Don't get your head down too far that you've lost sight of what it is that today was about. Um, and maybe one example of how I executed that in in the real world was um, as I'll allude to later on, or as I'll explain later on, a part of my life I lived in countries like China and Japan and so forth, where I just didn't speak the language. And I also was, was heading up a team of people in that region, Korean people or Japanese people or whatever, where we were about to go to a meeting where 95% of the meeting would be in a language I didn't understand. Questions and responses were being given back and forth. And I had no sense of whether this meeting was going in any direction that bore a resemblance to what I hoped it would. And then I relied on somebody telling me afterwards, oh, well, this happened. So I figured out that it would be really good to maintain that overview and clarity, even though I don't really know what's going on. So one of the things, and I'm, I'm sure if you talk to some of my ex-colleagues, they'd say, oh, yeah, you used to bang on about this all the time. But <laughs> I insisted that we meet for breakfast. So I'm, I'm in South Korea, I'll be going to a customer's there. Of course, I won't understand what's the majority of what's being said. And so therefore, I want to plan this meeting. I want to know what the objective of the meeting today is. So I'm clear, not, not just some aspirational objective, like I want to get an order. I mean, that, that of course, everybody wants to get an order. That's clear. But if we don't get there, the order therefore the meeting didn't fulfill the objective it's too big a thing i need i need some sense of why we're going today what what is the purpose and once we've got that clear in my little white book i'm writing down at the top of the page today we are visiting this customer to achieve this objective to to understand more about their business to understand what our position in the i don't know the sales process might be to understand why the customer's upset about something whatever it is i i, I want to know that's why we're going then I want to prepare six questions that are going to lead us to that, getting some answers towards that objective. And now, of course, I, I, meetings will go wherever they go. You sit down and suddenly another person walks in and the, the whole meeting can veer off to the left. And, and that happens. That's life. But at least we'll know that happened. At least we'll know that we didn't get to where we were supposed to go and we still haven't answered the question. 
that we wanted to have. And then in this preparation, this why are we doing this? What's the bigger goal? Once we know the questions, let's prepare whatever materials we need to support us in the possible responses so that we know this is what we're going to refer to, or this is the reference case, or this is the outcome that we had before, whatever the reason. And this kind of preparation or keeping the objective in mind is something that I still think about today. What, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of this? Um, and whilst that in, in large part was maybe driven by this communication difficulty, I, I understood because of the relationship you have with the person you're in the meeting with, that he's going to turn to you and say, look, this is, you know, this is going sideways because this happened or that, that new fact came into play. Okay, so now we've got to adapt on the fly. This is the bit about sport where in the heat of the moment we deal with what's in front of us, but we still have a sense of the journey we're trying to make. And so therefore, while it's not a straight line, we know how we're going to get back onto the, the path we were first after. So that in large part forms the, the character that I have. And the last thing I would say, and I'm, I'm sure all your listeners and, and you yourself will have had this moment, you suddenly meet a leader. You can't quite put your finger on why you say that person's a leader, but it's it's not management anymore and of course they are managing that's clear but they're displaying a quality or they're saying things to you and you have a feeling that you maybe didn't have before some maybe some excitement or adrenaline started to run inside you and you think wow this this is a thing whatever's going on now is something that's unusual and one former ceo that i worked very closely with at a company uh, I worked at in the past, he demonstrated that quality and he had the listening and the questioning skills that I described before. But he was, he was able to lay out very clearly and easily what was required, how we were going to get there. And I, I tried to find a way to, to maybe say this more easily, but the fact is, you believed him, you believed he believed it, and you believed it. And to me, that's when a leader has been in the room, you leave thinking, oh my God, I've just seen something. Yep, exactly. But in essence, it's that sincerity and that belief that they portray with, with not necessarily with passion, but with clarity. And you start to buy in. And, and that's something that we're all searching for, isn't it? But What's clear, if you, don't, if you don't give off these belief vibes, then don't expect anybody else in the room to, to believe you particularly. They'll understand exactly. it, but will they believe you? I'm not sure. <laughs> Simon, that was amazing. Um, you know, finding inspirational leaders that have passion that can give you that clarity. I know you're a football fan as well um, with the Wolves. <laughs> For better yeah. or worse, we'll leave it there. Um, but I can think of, you know, to your rugby point with football, just inspirational managers that were maybe once in a generation, Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, um, being able to get the most out of their players, uh, the most out of the, the people to bring towards a common goal and lay out exactly what that objective is and how they can go about doing it, keeping that identity 
and, and clarity along the way. Well, it's interesting you say that and bringing a little bit back to sport. Yes, I agree with you about football. And of course, you know, if you talk about Alex Ferguson, this guy had passion. He believed and he had a plan. <laughs> That's really clear. But coming back to my own sport of rugby, there was um, a, a very famous coach of the England rugby team called Sir Clive Woodward, who, who took England to the World Cup in 2003. And you know, whilst I could talk about this guy for an hour, one thing that I would want to point out is that very similarly, he had this simple mnemonic that he used to talk about, teacup, think clearly under pressure. And that's always stuck with me because that was my own experience playing the sport, that the first thing that goes out the window is clarity, you know, when things go... um, Let's say they get a, a little bit emotional and perhaps it's not going quite as you planned. This clarity of thought is right out the window and now it's a it's a scrap, you know, how are we going to get forward? And, and that was one of the things that he tried and probably successfully did bring into to the field of sport. The best people don't lose the clarity of thought. They still think clearly. And that's something, again, that you try to take on yourself and think, keep that in mind. When you realise you're sliding forward and heads going down and now you're getting lost in in the emotion of the immediate panic which is normal it's an everyday thing just remember that's what's happened and when you take a breath lift your head up again and still think clearly about it exactly i love that teacup i'm gonna have to to bring that to to my everyday and uh i'll get back to you on that but i love it um thinking clearly under pressure um Moving on here, uh, you know, from, you know, a little bit about Simon, about yourself, uh, kind of what shaped you uh, leading up to this point. Here we are. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your past. Take us back in time. And, you know, how did you get started? What has changed over time for you? I know the robotics industry, of course, has changed uh, rapidly and people are trying to keep up. I can imagine you being at the forefront. You've seen quite a bit. So, um, having held leadership positions at some very strong companies uh, in the past. Uh, you've traveled to the far corners of the world, as you mentioned, um, educating the robotics and automation industry. You know, take us back in time. Tell us how you get started. And um, again, touch on some major learning moments that you might have had along the way trying to get people to, to buy in and understand. Yeah, I, this is very interesting too. How did I get into robotics completely by accident? Uh, I I was going out with a girl at the time, dating a girl who, whose best friend's husband was in robotics. We went out to do some ten-pin bowling, and during the conversation, he said to me, oh, we're looking for people in, to be service engineers. And I'd recently completed a kind of a technical engineering education, been at college doing that. I thought, well, why not? But there was no passion. It's just a complete accident. And I went along did the interview and be, hey, presto, I'm in robotics back in January of 1985. And it, again, it's amazing how quickly you, you kind of see the people that are good at what they do. And then the other people that are say less good, if I can put it quite that way. And, and again, the clarity of thought. Listen, I can tell you, being a service engineer, going to a car plant when a line is stopped because one of your machines has broken down is a stressful situation. Nobody wants to see you. Can only imagine. It's it's all your fault. 
<laughs> and if you don't get this, you know, bloody thing started in five minutes, then we're never going to buy another machine from you ever again. I mean, that's kind of the welcoming party when you turn up pretty much. <laughs> and you learn very quickly that, again, certain people are able to cut all the noise out, focus on what needs to be done using their experience, and, of course, obvious skills. They arrive very quickly. They don't get sidetracked by extraneous noise or people telling them it's this or it's that. They just use their logic and then they arrive at a solution. Now, sometimes, of course, that might not be exactly what the customer wants to hear. You know, oh, so it's this part and have you got this part? No, I haven't. Oh, well, we're stuck then. I mean, that's never a good outcome to a, to, to a visit. But there I was in this technical uh, background. And then a little later on, I decided I wanted to get into marketing. Don't ask me why. It was, uh, again, another throwaway conversation. And I decided to, to go back to business school effectively. And whilst working at the same time, try and balance these two competing things. And that was a tremendous learning experience for me because whilst the, if you like, the technical engineering education had been quite pure, you know, a fact's a fact and a, you know, a, right. a formula's a formula sort of thing. Once you move into marketing, you're, you're being presented with things that are less clear. You know, that this is a, a predicted outcome. It's not a guaranteed outcome. You know, if I screw this nut up, this will be tight. It is not one of those things which is necessarily marketing. And, and of course, I was introduced to the psychology of consumer behavior at that point, be it in B2B or B2C. It's an aspect you, you never considered. But of course, it's the flip of how you behave. You just turn that around and say, well, why do I behave that way? Why do I think a Rolls-Royce is the best car in the world and I've never owned one? <laughs> I'm not likely to own one either, but if you ask me to write down five things about a Rolls-Royce, I'm pretty sure I'd write down the five things the marketing department told me I should think Certainly. about a Rolls-Royce. And then I, I was introduced to the this, this CAB model during that psychology of marketing, this cognitive affective behavioral model which is, you know, I see, I feel, I act, more or less. And, of course, in a uh, B2C type uh, environment, that could be over in a flash. You know, I'm thirsty, I walk into a shop, I see the freezer with the drinks, I see Coca-Cola, I like Coca-Cola, I buy Coca-Cola. The whole model worked in, in five seconds. Whereas in our business, you know, capital equipment, it tends to be somewhat longer. But nonetheless, the, the path is the same. And the other thing I took away from that, and it's something that I use all the time now, and you ask what shapes me now in, in work I've done and I'm doing, this simple mantra uh, about setting out on anything, in, in my case, of course, it's robotics and automation, but it's, it can be used anywhere. What do, uh, what do I want to say, question mark? And of course, here straight away, we're talking about you know, it's research, the competitive landscape, uh, the what advantages I might have, the, the brand values that I'm working with, and then the value proposition that I want to form. So effectively, this is the what do I want to say? Who do I want to say it to? Becomes the next step pretty quickly. And of course, now I'm talking about market segmentation, customers, geography, uh, users. It's 
pretty clear. You, you do, now your market analysis is going on. I've decided what I want to say. Now I'm figuring out who, who I should say it to. Then how do I want to say it? It's kind of the third step pretty quickly. And, you know, the message, the delivery, the channels, the frequency, this is where huge changes occurred over, over the time that I've been in around marketing. And of course, it's something that market scale helps customers with all the time, trying to find innovative ways and new ways to, to reach people and get the message across to people. And then, of course, the fourth part of that is what effect, with what effect. So what do I want to say? Who do I want to say to? How do I want to say it? And with what effect? And this, again, you know, am I informing? Am I educating? Am I getting people to, do I want people to react? Am I reinforcing something they might think about my product or my business? And again, this is an area that now with the latest CRM tools and so forth, we're able to more accurately and more quickly understand what effect that we had or didn't have, as the case may be. And in capital equipment terms, something that I, I implemented at different places that I've worked at is we did something and now we want to know what the effect was. For example, did we want to generate more inquiries? Was that the objective of this exercise? Well, that's easy to measure with today's CRM talk straight away. You know, this was the level before I did something and this is the level now. Did it go up by how much? Right. Does that translate into anything? It's all very well having lots of sales inquiries, but if they all crumbled to dust, then they weren't very good sales inquiries. So what is the metric that I'm looking for that will tell me that this had some effect? Then in the business I was in, that sales visits. Did the number of sales visits by the sales team increase or not? And how long after the event? So again, this is quite an interesting way to measure if something happened as a response of the inquiries. Then did the number of sales opportunities increase? If they did, then this is a consistent chain. Inquiries go up, visits go up, and ultimately sales opportunities increase. And then the final step, which in, in the automation business is very important to track, is did the number of quotations increase? And ultimately orders, but of course orders are very measurable and everybody knows if you got the order or not that you don't need a CRM system to tell you that. Right. But by having these fantastic measurement tools, you can now close the loop and go back again and say, okay, what happens now if we change what we said or we change who we said it to? And now we, we measure the effect of that again. So this is something that uh, I'm very keen on. It's not rocket science ultimately, but you have to be tremendously innovative about the way in which you do this process. But the process is very easy to understand. It's, it, it's not rocket science says the engineer <laughs> i'm not a marketer engineer no, no, no. <laughs> i was a very average engineer let me say the world <laughs> of engineering is not screaming because i stopped doing it well i'm excited i didn't know uh you came across um engineering and uh marketing uh through bowling i didn't know that so that's something <laughs> that's another conversation we can have simon and another episode but you, you laid out some good things um over time uh, you know, the tools in which we 
communicate with change. Um, you know, different mediums change. There's new CRMs, there's new data uh, techniques to, to measure and track those metrics. Are the sales visits up, sales opportunities up, quotes up, orders, are they coming in? Um, and, you know, it just, over the years, it seems like those have been the cornerstones, no matter what, um, that you can always look to. Um, so you're constantly looking for new technologies, new ways to, um, to communicate to these people. How do you want to say it? Where do you want to say it? And with what effect? Um, so th some big learning moments there, certainly. And, and, and the other thing, of course, Brandon, in all of this uh, is the speed that you're getting the information back. That, that's really the key because you can, you can tweak and adapt, stop, do it again, whatever, based on the information that you're seeing. And, you know, listen, when I started in this game, man alive, you, you know, what the big deal was putting an advert in a magazine and then, you know, hoping you got responses from that or monitoring phone calls. I mean, it was such a long period that the basics are the same, but the being able to judge how effective that was now, of course, with social media posting or the, you know, the ability of people to access content as and when they want it. And, you know, content always lives, doesn't it? I mean, you can put out a podcast and, OK, it's fresh and new on that day, but people are still coming to that as though it's fresh and new for them months after the event. Exactly. So, you, you know, this stuff is very interesting and the amount of content is, is fantastic. The challenge now is making it meaningful and not just churning out content because I have to put three posts out today and it's five o'clock. I'm just going to change a few words around to something I said last week. You know, that is less interesting, to be honest. Certainly. No, definitely. And your point to content, um, you know, being uh, having a longer shelf life. Uh, maybe then the advertisements back in the magazines, um, you know, being able to use and reference a library of content on demand, uh, such as a podcast that answers a, a frequently asked question, you know, how easy is it now for uh, sales teams to uh, rely on the marketer to provide that content and they just share it with the customer or the client or the partner? Well, anybody's a content creator now, aren't they? I mean, it's not only the marketing department. Everybody can can create a post. You're exactly right. And, you know, uh, with, with companies in this space, especially, um, oftentimes they have a smaller marketing team and they have to support a larger group. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what we see a lot of is, you know, smaller teams, a lot more responsibility. Uh, they're wearing a lot more hats, but at the same time, in today's day and age with marketing and media, everyone is a marketer. Um, you've got your, your technical engineers on a podcast talking about your company, talking about their expertise, helping their clients and, and partners. Um, you've got the executive leaders on the team. Everyone now is, is creating their own posts. They're interacting with yeah. uh, media and content. And um, what might have been four marketers on a team is now 400 uh, if we're doing it right. So... I really can resonate with that point. And uh, that's, that's definitely shown where we've gotten to over the years from where we were maybe 5, 10, 20 years ago uh, and where we are today in 2020. And especially with this year alone, I think we've learned <laughs> quite a lot uh, and things have changed quite a bit uh, moving towards more virtual, more remote, 
uh, just the capabilities that have been developed and innovated have been. Uh, and in many ways, sorry, Brandon, to jump in, but in many ways, you've just outlined, you know, the fantastic uh, opportunity this presents, the 400 uh, marketers, as you mentioned, which is great. But now the control of the message is divided by 400. And this is another challenge, you know, is everybody aware of what the key things are or what needs to be said or, or better yet, what doesn't need to be said. Um, and this, again, is partly where, you know, companies like MarketScale, for example, have to be so close to the organization that it's clear to both sides what's involved. But then the organization has got to make sure that it's 400 marketers really understand that and it's not just you know repost 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 without any thought about what's going on and because when that gets modified or even more uh challenges challenging is when somebody creates a post wow you you need you've really got to hope that they understand exactly what it is you're trying to say right and not heading off you know to the left again and uh you've got to try and pull this back Exactly. And that kind of goes back to your point earlier, um, you know, strong leadership, um, steering the ship, making sure the objectives are there, that the goal is there, that everyone on the team understands that. And, you know, if whatever is happening, happening along the way, we can always know that this is our goal. This is our direction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So you've had a lot of leadership uh, over the years, leadership positions. You've educated so many folks uh, in the industry um, from other executives down to building your own teams. Simon, tell me uh, a little bit more about how you have coached your uh, former colleagues, your colleagues now that might've been underneath you. Maybe you had a young um, marketer or a young engineer <laughs> on your team that you were able to see some potential in. You know, how did you help them grow professionally and get the most out of their potential? Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because you tend to to not really stop and think too much about that. You just move on. And I suppose the evidence of whether you've done it reasonably well is the people that are coming along behind you and how they're working. I don't know that any of us set out to, of course, teachers is their profession. I get it. But for the rest of us, we're not thinking, you know, I, I need to really form these people into um, – I don't know, perfect, uh, whatever their job is, marketers, salespeople, administrators, Simon 2.0, Simon 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> no, no mini-me's in this circumstance. But one thing I, 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 I think you learn, and it's something, again, that you get better at, of course, but it's always in uh, front of mind for me, is explaining the plan. Don't hold back on explaining the plan. Let everybody know what the plan is. There's no secret plan that you can't share with people. You know, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to achieve. Um, and this is the direction we're heading in. Uh, make sure everybody gets that. Now, of course, you know, there are cynics in every organization or people who know better than you do and that sort of thing. But they're relatively in the minority. The majority of people I don't know. You just assume that they want to do meaningful work that's successful. That's what we all want to do, ultimately, whether you're the CEO or anybody else. I'd like to do meaningful work that is successful. And by definition, I'm going to get some satisfaction from doing that. Um, 
if I think back to, again, uh, mentioning uh, my time in Asia, you can imagine I moved to China. Um, I, I got no idea. I, honestly, you know, you think you've got a clue. You turn up, you've got no idea. And this, you know, this idea of me going out there to, to you know, sort of create something, build something, and then we're all going to be successful together. I can tell you at the beginning, I was learning. I wasn't, I wasn't teaching anybody. I was learning from, from the people that I was working with. And for the first time and maybe the only time that in my life, I, I was able to work with a group of young, well-educated people. Um, and this was, this was very interesting. There weren't any older, experienced people in the team because, you know, China was coming up fast. And if you talk about robotics, there weren't any seasoned robotics veterans when I arrived in China. They were people coming out of university with, as I say, very good education, um, but no experience. So I bring the experience. They bring the skills and the culture, and together we learn. You know, you say, well, I think we should do this, and then you get a, a bit of head scratching. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to work. Why is that? Well, because of this reason. Ah, oh, okay. I, I see there's some local cultural reason why that won't work. So let's drive that out the window and, and try something else. But it was, in fact, I can say, I know, I know this is textbook stuff, but it was the absolute de uh, definition of storming to norming to performing. Uh, my time there was, was all of that. And it was fantastic to be a part of. The, the, it gave, it reinvigorated me for sure. You know, this kind of slightly cynical guy that's had experience in different places, thinking, "Oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, tear tear off a strip and do the same again wherever I." Absolutely not at all. Throw all that out the window and let's start again with something that's adapted to local needs. Um, but one of the greatest pleasures that I took from all that experience. You know, Japan is very different and South Korea is very different. Here I'm talking just about, about China, was this young team, uh, as we sort of grew together, we're trying to, 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 to achieve together. You know, we, there, there was no past history. There is no, you know, last year we did a, a hundred of these and next year we need to do 50% more. There wasn't anything, it was zero to something at that point and so we all collectively did something together and you watch this group of young talented individuals growing really fast really quickly bringing their intelligence to bear on, on issues and because you've explained because you've saying this is what we want to achieve collectively they've had a big input now don't forget to the plan so they understand everybody owns a little bit of it here. It's not like we can say, oh, that was all yours, and if it doesn't work, we'll have bad luck. No, we all own this together. We're all agreed this is uh, how we're going to achieve. You know, we've got the what we want to say. We're now in the who do we want to say to and the how are we going to say it. Um, but it was a fantastic experience, and watching these people grow, I can tell you that we had really low turnover. In a, in a Wild West job market as it was at that time in the mid-2000s and people were able to go next door for double the salary. It, it was just crazy across China. We had very low turnover. And a lot of those people now 
are in very senior positions in that company. And, and one guy that, well, he was just a fantastic individual. That was pretty clear to see from very early on. Very humble guy. Is now the president of the organization in China. Wow. And he was a service engineer when I arrived. And you reach a point where you see this person growing and you realize that you realize before he realizes this guy could be quite something, but he doesn't think he can be. He's still very humble and, and a little bit nervous about taking the different steps, if you see what I mean. So it's that reinforcing um, and a kind of convincing, if you like. But certainly all the time, all you're really doing is this mentoring. I never quite got my head around what it ultimately was, but the definition that worked for me was I just explained what I was doing and why I was doing it. Not you should do it and you should be this thing, but this is why I'm doing it. This is the outcome. These are the challenges. Can you help me a little bit here with this or that? And I, that worked very well for me in that circumstance. And it's something, again, that I try to use going forward. I'm not telling somebody else what they should be doing, but showing that person why I'm doing something. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's sharing your experience, like you said, um, being with a young team there in China, quite talented, but young. Oh, yeah. um, sharing your experience, uh, sharing that wealth of knowledge with them and getting them, as you mentioned earlier, um, together as a team, uh, having that sense of togetherness for one goal, um, and everyone's in it together. Um, you know, it just goes so far, goes so long, such a long way. Um, and, and having them be able to see and understand, you know, what's going on in your mind, why you did it this way or why you're doing it this way. And, and Hey, look, this is where we might've been able to do something different, or we came to a fork in the road. And this is why I think we should do it this way. Um, so now they've got those learning moments, um, and it sounds like you groomed quite a, a great group of individuals there uh, that are leading some, some, or are in some great leading positions uh, across the world. To be honest, uh, Brandon, I'm, it's, not, it's not really a question of grooming, or at least I don't think of it that way. It, it's kind of just kicking the roadblocks out of the way that stop other people from stepping forward. I like it. That, that's more or less what this is about. And, you know, now I look back and I realize that, you know, in South Korea, it's the same story. The, the, the guy that we brought in there is now the president of the operation in South Korea. And even in Japan, you know, a very traditional country, which certainly was robot uh, aware that we didn't have to worry too much. We could find seasoned individuals in that country. But but again, that, that guy is now the head of the robotics group over there. And it's it's tremendous, but it's not because you did anything, you know, you didn't turn, you know, a, a piece of rock into a diamond. That didn't happen. It was always a diamond. Yep. The question was, did the person themselves realize they were a diamond? Helping them realize. them a diamond. <laughs> yeah, helping them realize and, and uh, undoing the change that they, they think maybe they have. Um, so really kicking those roadblocks out of the way for them and yeah. um, reinforcing, you know, and almost convincing them of, you know, hey, you do have the talent. I see some things, um, you know, presenting some challenges to them and having them present back to you what they might do. How are, you know, having them think through that with you and you responding, this is where 
you know, how I would do it. This is maybe how I might do it differently. Um, so just getting them to think uh, and listen and really uh, present clearly again tying it back to your, your car, car or train journeys are one of the great things for these because now you're in a neutral setting you know if you're in japan if you live in japan you're going to be on the train a lot on the bullet yep. train traveling up and down for example from osaka to tokyo you're sitting with a colleague there's you're either preparing to do what you did or you're debriefing largely what you did on the way back right and you may have two hours together and, you know, with the cultural barriers that are there, some people, you know, the, the culture is very respectful and I wouldn't dream of criticizing you or, or suggesting another way to do something. So you have to kind of live through all of that, takes time to get past all of that. But eventually your relationship develops to the point where you could ask them, well, what would you have done in Certainly. that circumstance? Yeah. And it's genuinely not because you know the answer, you know, you, you went together, you did something, and that was all right, but could have been better. You know, you went to a meeting because of supplies you were trying to get. You remember we had the tsunami in 2011. We had all these problems in Japan. Mm -hmm. We had suppliers in Japan. So it wasn't about sales in many cases. It was about how do we try and get these people to put us on the top of the pile and let us have what we want first. So this sort of thing you, you kind of can discuss with people. And even if it's just a conversation, we all have conversations that don't go anywhere, but the act of actually having that conversation with people, first you learn something. If you're not too humble, you learn something. <laughs> Certainly. And then it causes the other person to think about something. They say something to you, you take that idea and maybe reshape it and throw it back. Not because you're cleverer, but because it was a really good idea. But what would have happened if we'd have done this? Would have that have led to there and so on? But the confidence in the individual is growing all the time because their ideas are not being dismissed. Okay, some are. Eventually, at some point, you say, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. But you've got to comfort with each other that they accept that in the same way that you've had that conversation, I'm sure, with somebody as a boss to you and they said, that's oh, a daft yep, idea. Definitely. Okay, yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> that's great you're inspiring confidence um you're 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 bringing out more uh, creativity and critical thinking and at the end of the day uh, they're learning from you they're learning with you and um you know we want them to in, in their positions now be doing the same thing for the younger generations exactly. when when they have that opportunity so um simon i i really really appreciate your time today i can't wait for our listeners to hear this um, you bring such a wealth of knowledge, um, you know, across the spectrum, uh, to the world and to, to other leaders and to people that are up and coming and might hear this and, and become inspired themselves. I want to close this out. I know at the beginning we mentioned, um, sticking around for the end, we have a special sign off. Uh, I want you to tell us, Simon, um, if you can pick a favorite quote, um, a favorite saying, and maybe tell us just a quick uh, synopsis of why. Uh, I'd love to hear it. I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it as well. Yeah, I, I knew this question was coming. So for, for a little while, I spent time trying to find some, you know, quick snappy quote that was, you know, well known <laughs> and would make a lot of sense. But I realized that that would have been quite false to have done it. So the one that is always in my mind is a family quote. And it's one that Myself and my cousins used to use quite a lot in, in somewhat sarcastic way, I've got to say, back and forth to each other. And again, it comes from sport. 
when we used to say a chance missed is a chance not taken means everything and nothing simultaneously. And we used to throw this around a lot with each other. But the more I look back, I realize how much that has been true, at least for me, in that I almost never turn down an opportunity when it's presented itself. I wouldn't say to you now, Brandon, 100% of the time it was absolutely the right thing to do, and I never regretted it. But the fact that some of those things didn't quite work out how I'd hoped didn't stop me from taking the second, uh, no, the next opportunity that came along. And I, I think I fairly much lived by that as it's happened. And uh, as you say, uh, how it, as it relates to me, it means that I've had the opportunity to, to live in many different countries. But for me, when, to say you've lived in a country, you've got to pay tax there. Just going there and spending three months and coming I like back. It. Yeah, okay, you live there, but not really. <laughs> when you've prepared your tax return and pay tax, now you can say you lived in a country. So, you know, living in China, living in Japan, living in France, living in the United States, these were all opportunities that came along with a 50-50 answer. And in every case, I said, why not? Let's do it. I so it. I, I won't, I won't, ever worry too much about you know there was a chance and i didn't take it i, I took it amazing simon uh I, i'm so happy we got to have this conversation uh, i certainly learned a few more things about you and i'm excited for others to see inside as well um, thank you so much for joining us today and, and everyone listening look forward to our next episode subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify um, and we look forward to sharing the next business executives uh, leadership moments, moments of learning and how they got to where they are. So thank you again, everybody. And Simon, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Brandon.